you know, what are we going to be able to do that we couldn't do before in terms of, of serving the Lord and reaching the world? And, 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 and good things have happened. And so, but, but in this other area that we're talking about tonight where, where Paul talks about he's jealous of the people. See, I'm jealous of you. As your pastor, I, I want to protect you. I want things to go well for you. I, I want you to be led down paths of righteousness for the Lord's namesake. I, I want things to go well for you. I, I, I care about you. I'm jealous about you. Paul is saying that to the Corinthian church. And the reason he's saying it is some flash has come to town. Some guys have come to town that are hotshot preachers and good fundraisers for themselves. They want to make money. And so they, they know how to put on the dog. They know how to put on a show. And it's, it's hurting the church. And Paul writes and he says, I'm jealous. Now, you can see why I say what I did about it's like going to the doctor's office tonight and being told, well, you don't have any problems. Everything's fine. But here's the problems. And, and it's a good idea that we know about them so we don't ever fall prey to them. Am I making sense? And uh, as, as, as we get into this, you know, we're, th this week, USA Today, uh, came out the front page story. The main story is that Protestantism now is in the minority in America for the first time since the founding fathers or since before them, since the pilgrims arrived on these shores. Uh, the, the, the church is shrinking. And the weird thing is, uh, in California, we couldn't believe the size of church buildings that we saw. And we saw a lot of normal looking churches. But we saw a, a, a couple of like 50 acre campuses and just gargantuan buildings. And, and see, I grew up in a time like that in, in the 1950s. It wasn't as big, but it was kind of like that. It was a time when if a pastor died and then, then the church kind of closed down because, you know, the, 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 the personality was gone that was driving the thing, everybody would, would say at his funeral, oh, what a wonderful man he was. You know, look at the church has just collapsed as soon as he's gone. And I, and I would say to that, and I'd say it to their face if they were standing in front of me. What a loser he was. If all you did was draw your people to yourself and, and, and then they, 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 they disperse when you're gone, something's seriously wrong. You know, I've always wanted to try to pastor in a way that I could drop dead any day and the church would just keep on going and, 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 and everybody would keep on trucking for Jesus. Am I making sense? And so... Paul is up against some of these kind of people that are sort of stealing people that he gave birth to. He's not in the church in Corinth. He's writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, he birthed the church in Corinth. He, he's he's the, the, the founding pastor. He went and preached in a synagogue until he got thrown out of the synagogue. And when he got thrown out of the synagogue, the synagogue leader left with him. And they went to the house next door. A guy named Crispus. Uh, is involved and, and they start a little church and it becomes a booming church and it's got a lot of problems. There's a lot of jealousy, a lot of uh, unlove, a lot of uh, sin in the church. And so we read First and Second Corinthians. They're, they're great manuals about how not to live your life. And so tonight we're going to talk about this. And so he talks about his godly jealousy in verse 1. It talks about God is jealous for you. He says, I hope you'll put up with a little more of my foolishness. In other words, I'm going to brag about myself tonight, and, and, and I don't like to brag about myself. I'm being stupid. I'm being foolish. But I hope you put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. What's he saying? God is jealous of you. The way that a husband 
should be jealous of his wife. You know, if somebody comes flirting with my wife, I'm not real happy about it. There's a kind of jealousy that's unhealthy and selfish. There's a kind of jealousy that's good and, and, and springs from righteousness. So God himself is jealous over you. God wants you, your love, and your attention. And he says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. You're not married to me. You as, 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 as me being your pastor. And by the way, thank you for clapping when I got up here tonight. I was making jokes about it, but I really did feel good. Um, but, but my job isn't to, like, he's not saying the pastor is the husband of the church. And the church is the wife of the pastor. He's saying Jesus is the husband of the church. And the church is like the wife of Jesus. And he goes, I'm the matchmaker. I'm the guy in between trying to hook you guys up and make things happen. So he says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, that is Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. I fear that your love for Christ is going to be corrupted in the same way that Eve's love for God was corrupted by Satan in the garden. And, and, and he uses this word, deceit. She was deceived. I fear that you'll be deceived. Um, I, I have a couple companion scriptures. I think I'm going to skip one of them. In Exodus chapter 20, he talks about, the, the, the Bible says this, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God says he's jealous. He won't tolerate our affection for any other gods. He says, I am alone, demand your worship. The word worship is, that we read in English, I'm not going to get into the Greek and the Hebrew here, comes from an ancient English word, an Anglo-Saxon word. Uh, did any of you ever have to read Chaucer in high school? And they don't do that anymore. Je Geoffrey Chaucer wrote in like the 13th century and, 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 and is, is in English. But as an American, you can't read it. it, it it's just... It's just gobbledygook, you know. Uh, the words have changed so much. Language keeps changing. That's why we keep updating the translations of the Bible. Same Bible, we just keep retranslating it. Okay? So the word worship comes from an Anglo-Saxon word called worthiascope. It's very hard to pronounce it right. Worthiascope. You've got to do weird things with your tongue to get it out. And, and it, all it really means is to ascribe great value to something. You know, we think of worship as singing songs, of raising our hands, of clapping to the Lord. Yeah, those are all items of worship. But the issue is that you ascribe great value to something. The problem that Paul's got going here is people are ascribing greater value to Christian leaders who come off slick than they are to the Lord who doesn't come off so slick. Am I making sense when I say this? And you can see why I say that our church is a healthy church. We're not into this kind of stuff. And uh, we're not running around for who's the hottest teacher and whatever. Um, worldly jealousy is based on selfishness. 
you know, even down to the guys that are abusive to women and they want to possess them. It's selfishness. God's jealousy is based on a covenant. There's a, there's a, a relationship. We've, we've enjoined ourselves to God. You know, the Bible uses, and I'm always very uncomfortable with this as a man, it uses this example in Ephesians 5 of Christ and the church as though Jesus is married to the church. Well, that puts the church in a kind of a feminine role in that metaphor. Dennis, stand up. Just just growl at everybody. Come on, just, you know, can, can you imagine, you know, you, you're the bride of Christ. <laughs> that one always just, you know, I don't know what to do with that. But you understand what the metaphor is trying to say, is that we are in a covenant relationship with God. In fact, this is what, uh, you, you know, there's only really two sacraments, I believe. One is marriage and one is communion. And uh, in, in, in Jesus in communion, in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, it says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Notice the word covenant there. It means a contract. This is a contract between God and us, that God is willing to forgive us and to walk with us and to, to, to never leave us. You know, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Whoa, those are strong words. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. You know, no matter what goes on in the presidential election, no matter what goes on in the economy, and, you know, economists are, 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 are pretty much getting unified, saying that we're going to go into another recession next year. It's pretty getting scary out there. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. God is going to be with us. He's going to be on our side. In the Old Testament, where we don't read very much in the book of Hosea, in chapter 2, it says this in verse 16. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of master. See the difference? Master would suggest that we're God's slaves. Husband would suggest that we have a relationship with God, that we're bonded to him in the covenant. Verse 19 in the same chapter, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. Notice what God says about us. He's going to show us righteousness. He's going to show us justice, which sometimes means that, that we get a little trip to the woodshed and get disciplined. He's going to show us unfailing love and compassion. And he says, I'll be faithful to you. God will be faithful to us. He, he expects us to be faithful to him and to not go running after, you know. I, I, I know people that are running around for looking for a spiritual high. And they're going to get it anywhere they can get it. And they're, they're more in love with the feeling than they are the person who is the author of feelings. Am I making sense to you? I mean, there are times in my life, and, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a kind of a, you know, I go, I go and preach different places uh, in America, and I never get invited back. <laughs> because, I mean, what you see is what you get. <laughs> it ain't very thrilling. And, and you know, so you, you, you don't get something that's all glitzy. And, and, and as a person, just in my own private life, I'm, I'm not a real emotional person. I, 
I'm, I'm deeply devoted to my wife. I love her dearly. But I always feel like I don't express it well. Uh, because I'm not a person who, who, you know, I can get given to anger real easy. But I, I'm not a person who is, you know. And, but I've had those experiences with God. I remember the first time that I ever spoke in tongues as a kid. Uh, and, and, and I was praying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this thing happened. And there's this incredible feeling of lightness and joy. And, 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 and I, I wish every single day of my life was like that. But you know what? It's not. There have been times. And we moved in January. And uh, we were on a trip. And we come home. We were hoping in June of this year, like three months ago, that we could start to get our house ready to sell it because I had time when I wouldn't be traveling. But all the springtime, I always travel, one trip a month. And and we come home in the end of October, and, and there's a letter in our mailbox. Somebody wants to buy our condo. I go to church the next day, and I have a friend that's a realtor. His wife is a realtor. And somebody called her up and said, do you know anybody has a condo on Enchanted Lake? We want to buy it. So I got two buyers in two days. And I've never done anything. I haven't cleaned the house. I haven't got rid of all the garbage in the attic. I haven't done anything. I haven't listed it. I haven't done anything. And then we had looked at a model home months before. And we liked it. And we stood and prayed at the door with no faith at all that God would allow us to buy that model home. And we went and talked to the lady and put our name on the list. And she goes, well, there's four people in front of you. You're never going to get this house. Well, we'd like to buy a house in the neighborhood. Well, there's none for sale. They're all sold. I mean, just in, in, in four days after I get the two offers, this lady calls our realtor and says, we've sold everything in the neighborhood. And the only thing that's left is that one individual home. Are the more still interested? And we ended up getting, in 13 days, we had sold and bought without ever listing. And then we had to start going to the Goodwill because we ended up buying the furniture. And, and so we're giving everybody we can, everything we can. Because uh, the, the house had, I mean, model home, right? Had a 42-inch flat screen TV. And I gave it away. It was just fun, giving away stuff. I'm giving away beds and sofas and whatever. It was just fun. And boy, I want you to know, it felt good. It felt, there was a, a sense of, wow, the miraculous power of and I wish every day of my life was like that. But it isn't. And it won't be. And I know people who go chasing that. And they, and they idolize a feeling. And then they idolize a good talker. They idolize somebody who can, who can, who can rev them up. You know, we were talking this morning about uh, the, the fact that in America, I, I, I started to say this and I kind of got off. In America... Uh, Protestant Christianity, which is the growing edge of Christianity, is now shrunken to less than 50% of the population. First time ever. But we got these great big churches that are putting on great big shows all across the country. And somebody said today, it's become who can put on the best show. And, 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 and that's tragic because we know statistically that most growth of the church, of the kingdom of God, happens in smaller churches Either, either churches that are small or churches like ours that work really hard at stuff like mini church, which allows you to be big and be small at the same time because evangelism happens through friendships. It doesn't happen through shows. Churches get big because they put on nice shows and people from other churches end up coming. 
And so Paul's wailing away on this thing. And in verse 4, he says, You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Now, do you actually think that people would come to Corinth or come to Honolulu and go, I, the Jesus in the Bible is the wrong Jesus. I want to tell you about it, the right Jesus. That's not what's going on here. They're twisting the message. They're not obliterating their message. They're not saying, we're not talking about that Jesus. We're talking about this Jesus. What they're doing is they're falsely describing Jesus. Am I making sense? You know, there's a, there's a, a, a message that when I was leaving California, uh, the last few years I was in California, it became so popular and and it was all about that if you become a Christian, you'll never get sick, and you'll always get financially, you're going to get really rich. One guy, one pastor, went so far as to say that he had claimed and prayed for, he didn't know where it was or what it was. He just prayed for and he claimed, that was the word, claimant. He claimed the largest house in Los Angeles County. So God was going to give him the largest house in Los Angeles County. Now, I mean, that's a kind of a selfish thing to pray, wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, the largest house in Los Angeles County must be worth 100 million bucks because they got movie stars in Los Angeles County. I, 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 I can't imagine. Uh, I can't, I, you know, I can't imagine. I can't imagine any of us in this room, if somebody gave us that house, us being comfortable living in it. Huh? I, I mean, what on earth for? And so, so this weird thing, they were preaching about Jesus of Nazareth uh, who preached in Galilee, who died on a cross and who rose from the dead three days later, but they were preaching a different Jesus. They weren't obliterating Jesus. They were twisting who Jesus is and twisting what Jesus does. Am I making sense to you? See, I, I, I know in places where the feeling chasing thing goes on because he says this. He says that they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. You know, you, 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 we, we used to make jokes about people getting the, 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 the Holy Ghost chicken skin, that, that people are running around chasing a, this feeling thing. And you know what? You, you can, I've been to some. You can go and do a, 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 a musical show and a drama and, a, and, 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 and you, you can come out of there just high as a kite. But on the other hand, I, I, I've been over here to, to, the, to the theater at Windward Junior College, Community College, and I, I, I go over there and I, and I watch a really cool musical and I come away and I feel really good. And so it's not about a feeling. And it's not about chasing his feeling. So we, you identify the feeling with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're preaching a different spirit. No, no, the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. He's a convictor of sin. He's somebody who'll lead you into righteousness. And he's somebody who once in a while gives you really good feelings. But it doesn't happen every day. And so people begin to idolize the sources of these things. And, and Paul's attacking this. Am I making sense? I hope so because I'm just getting started and the, the clock is running out. Well, look what he says in verse 5. I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles. Man, I underline that word super apostles because I don't want to be one. I don't feel myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. 
Verse 6, I may be, an un, be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Now, this to me, you could read arrogance into this thing. Or you could just go, the guy is just basically telling the truth. And he goes, I may not be a very good speaker, but I am not stupid. And I've made this clear to you in every possible way. I, I, you, if you stop and think about history, I mean, you really, really, really analyze history. Other than Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee, changed human history more than any person who ever walked on the planet. One third of the people in the world today worship the Lord. Christianity may be in trouble in the United States. The two worst off countries in the world for Christianity are the United States and Japan. Everywhere else, it's ripping with growth. For every two Muslims in the world, there are three Christians in the world. And the fact is, Christianity is growing faster than Islam, so eventually, that's going to be two to four. There's, I read a book. Somebody's fearful that World War III is going to break out because the Muslims start shooting at the Christians, and the Christians get upset and start shooting back. I mean... The, 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 but, but stop and think about this. Who's number two? If Jesus is number one, who's the second person that's changed the course of human history? Number two rank would have to be this guy, the Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of the books of the New Testament he wrote. The whole underlying principle of of a democracy, of, of, you know, we talk about getting democracy from the Greeks. The Greeks had democracy for the upper crust. Everybody else was a slave. The gospel undid slavery in Great Britain and then it undid slavery in the United States. And slavery's still going on. They say there's more slaves alive today in the world than there's ever been at any time in history. But wherever Christianity goes, it changes things. Well, who is the one individual who, who, who wrote enough and spoke enough and did enough that he, that, he, that he planted the seeds that grew into a tree that turned into what we have other than Jesus. It's this guy, Paul here. And, he, and, and, and I, I really like this because I really identify very well. He goes, I may be unskilled as a speaker. You know, there's times I go to these, some of these conferences and the guys get up there and they jump around and they're loud and they're funny and and, and, and I have to remember, you know what, they go the same thing. Because, see, I do the same thing. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not knocking these guys. It, that if you preach the same sermon 40 times in a year, it gets funnier all the time. Because every time after church, somebody comes up to you and they tell you a story, and you go, I'll throw away that story, put that one in. And Because uh, this is what happens. This is what I do. I go around the world, and I got my little PowerPoints, and I teach guys about how to make disciples and plant churches. And, 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 and you know what? I, every, everywhere I go, I hear better stories. I hear about this guy doing this thing, and this guy doing this other radical thing. Remember Sundar? Uh, when I met Sundar, man, that guy is incredible. I tell his story everywhere I go in the world. And so, you know, you, 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 get, you get better. But, but when it's back home time, well, you're just your old self, right? And so Paul was with these people in Corinth for a good long time, and, 
And they had a time to figure out he wasn't that good of a speaker. And he says, I'm not, a, a, not a, like these super apostles. I'm unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We've made this clear to you in every way possible. He says, was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? Paul was what we would call today bivocational. Paul was making tents. He was probably sewing goat skins together to make tents, or they were weaving cloth to make tents, whatever. He was a tent maker when he lived in Corinth. He didn't take, he didn't live off the, the, the income of the church, although uh, later on he says that we should. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. So he took offerings from one group and so he could serve other people, kind of like what I do with Mission Hope. I, I, I receive money so I can go to poor places where they can't afford to buy an airplane ticket. He says, when I was with you, I didn't have enough to live on. I didn't become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I need. I've never been a burden to you, and I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you, God knows that I do. But I will continue doing as I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false prophets. I mean, he doesn't spare anybody anything here. These people are false prophets, false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants will also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve. Now, do you know who he's talking about? Could you name them? No way in the world you could name them because they're absolutely lost to history. Whoever these people were, they were able to come to town, rev up a crowd, take an offering, uh, get self-important, and, 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 and then they fell by the wayside, and, and nobody has any idea who in the world he was even talking about. There's no mention of them at all. You know, he, Paul, Paul's blunt. He talks about Peter. You know, remember Peter was the first guy that actually ever went to the Gentiles with the gospel? You read about early in Acts, and he's a, he goes to the house of Cornelius, this Gentile guy, and all these people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and then he baptizes them, and, and the church in Jerusalem gets mad at him. He has to argue his way out of that one, and, and he's the first guy to take the gospel of Gentiles. But Paul actually writes in the Scripture that there was a time when we were at this place, and Peter himself refused to eat with Gentiles because he fell prey to the temptation of these other people. But Peter's a good guy. Peter ended up doing right with his life. And so Paul says stink about Peter, but then Peter, Peter still, we all know Peter, right? Am I making sense? Well, if these other guys are so, such incredible apostles, why don't we know anything in the world about them? Because they were what he said. They were false apostles. They were nothings. And the people had gotten swayed and they, got, they, they, they fell for it. And, and he says... Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No wonder his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they'll get the punishment for their wicked deeds. I got some more companion scriptures, and I'm clear out of time, and so I'm going to sort of skip over. Um, this, some things to look for um, when, when you hear somebody that, that may be flashy. They may be impressive. I'm not, I'm not knocking flashy. There's some flashy guys that are really good guys. Mike Kai is a really flashy guy. You know, 
Carl Moore stands up, and he's the funniest guy on the planet when he gets up behind this thing and talks. I have no gripe against that. It's people who lack integrity, and they use what they got to do something, to dupe people, and to take people down roads out, not to go. Am I making sense? And so three things to really look for. First, the teaching. Does it really line up with the Bible? Are they twisting Scripture, or are they truly, truly preaching Scripture? You'll notice the way that we approach Scripture around this church is almost all the sermons we'll take a book on. You know, last year we took 1 Corinthians. Before that we took Matthew. And we just teach verse by verse by verse through the book. We bring in other scriptures. But you know, you can just take scripture here and scripture there and scripture there and make something up and, and, and take a little verse here and there and sort of prove your point and it's not right. So does the thing really line up with the Bible? Secondly, does it proclaim Jesus as the Lord and Savior? You know, if you're in Islam, you believe that Jesus is a prophet, but you don't believe that he's Lord and Savior. If you're in, in, in the Latter-day Saints, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you believe we're all sons of God. So is he the Lord and Savior? Is he supreme? That's, that's the second thing to look for. The third thing is, does the teacher or author have integrity and live a consistently godly lifestyle? Is, it, is this person one of these people that you're going you're gonna to find out that they're out visiting prostitutes like that guy you know, 20 years ago that we all heard about? I, I always tell people, look at the car they drive, and look at the shoes they wear, and you can pretty well get it. You know, if a guy shows up in, in $700 Italian loafers, uh, probably you ought not to sit there and listen to him. Uh, for sure, don't put a dollar in the offering. Um, I mean, it's be blunt tonight, isn't it? I mean, Paul's being blunt. I can be blunt. Um, so you, you need to look at the way that people live their life. Well, uh, the last part here, we're talking about what we can learn from Paul's godly jealousy. Verse 16. Again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this, but even if you do listen to me as you would to a foolish person uh, while I boast a little. Don't think that I'm being a fool for saying what I'm saying, but even if you think I'm a fool, pay attention because i got something to say to you. Verse 17, such boasting um, is not from the Lord, but I am acting the fool, so I'm going to say it. Verse 18, and since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. You know, one of the problems that I have when I travel to the places that I go to and teach pastors, I mostly try to go to where there's a movement that's getting started. The churches may be small, there may be large, there may be a few of them, there may be a lot of them. Uh, the two things that they have in common is they're poor and they can't afford to hire most people from America to come, so they never hear from anybody. And the second thing is there's a movement happening. There's, 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 there's God breathing on something and it's rapidly growing. It may be still small, but it's rapidly going. I go to those places. And when I go, what I find is that if they've heard from other Americans, here's what they expect me to do. They come and expect me to bring a lot of pictures of our church campus. And uh, you know what? We worship in a tent. And so I do bring pictures. I bring pictures of the outside. Uh, they expect, though, the pictures of the inside full of people and looking really good and all that kind of stuff. And they expect all of the... And, and God's blessed us. We've done wonderful things you know there we we know of 700 churches around the world but i was in arizona in may and one of the guys in new hampshire that we sent a guy out who sent a guy out who sent that guy out to plant a church that guy i i know of 20 some churches he's planted in in new england where christianity is supposed to be dead but 
he's running some kind of Bible school in the Philippines, and I haven't really checked it out, but there's over 300 churches that have come out of that Bible school. I, I mean, God's done some pretty amazing things. I don't go and tell those people those stories. I say that to day two or day three. I try to slowly get it in there. I, I go and I show pictures of when we were young and when we were poor and when I still had hair on top of my head and Aaron Suzuki had black hair and and um, and and I and I and I and I try to go in and tell all the hard stuff. I tell about what it was like to come over here and nobody would rent us any property and we had to start a beach. You know why? Because these guys are facing that kind of stuff. And they need to know that somebody else grew past it, but they started in it so that they can have courage to go through what they got to go through. Am I making sense? And so Paul says this business about uh, boasting. And he says, since there's other people boast about their human achievements, which is usually when I go there, I find people and, and some guys come and said, look at me, I got 6,000 people in church and I'm wonderful. And so I go and try to take the other approach. And here's Paul and his other approach. Verse 19, after all, since you think you're so wise that you enjoy putting up with fools, you'll put up with it when somebody enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. I am ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. They abused you. I didn't. I'm not like that. He's talking foolishness. I'm ashamed to say that. He goes on. He says, whatever they dare to boast about. Again, I'm talking like a fool. I dare to boast about it, too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. To them, that was a big deal. They were Jewish people. Jewish people were racially oriented. That was a big deal. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. That's a pretty strong statement to say. Did they serve the Lord? I served the Lord more. Um, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped without number, and face death again and again. I mean, listen to what he's saying. He goes, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman. I've served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped without number. I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. If they give you 40, then you were considered legally dead. and They couldn't beat you again. So they'd stop at 39 so they could do it again when they wanted to. Three times I was beaten with rods, that means big sticks. Once I was stoned, we read about that in Acts, they thought they'd, they'd killed him and they left him there and he came back. Three times I was shipwrecked, three times, we read about one of them in the Bible, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Think the Titanic here. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I faced danger from men who'd claimed to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without even enough clothes to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And it's a kind of interesting thing. He talks about all this horrid stuff that happened to him in his life. And he says, besides that, I have the, the, the daily burden of caring for the churches. And, and he's not talking about he's running them, because he didn't. He's not talking about he's administering them. So when he says, I have concern, I'm caring for them, I'm governing them, because he didn't at all. When he says, I had concern for the churches, he's talking about his heart. 
I care about these people. I care what happens to these people. We're back to this business about being jealous. I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. I want things to go right for you. I want things to go well for you. I don't want you to be led astray into stupidity. I care about you. I care a lot. And he says, besides this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? You know, I talked to a lady tonight who, 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 who told me that they just have found fluid on her brain. And, uh, wow. You know, she was supposed to be at a meeting this morning. I didn't see her. She said, I, I've, been, I've been stuck in the house. I, I, tonight's my first time, second time out. Uh, I, I'm going through this. Keith's going through this problem where he keeps getting fluid built up around his heart. Terrible stuff. Talked to someone else who, uh, their sister, who's been coming to our church. Last Monday had a stroke and on Wednesday passed away. And then there's people without jobs. There's a guy I'm going to see tomorrow in Kahala that, you know, recession's looming again. And, and the last one just about tore him apart. He's a small businessman. And, 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 and every time I think about him, it's like, how's a guy going to survive this thing? You know, he's getting the age of Social Security, and, 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 and that's pretty much all he's going to have left after working hard his whole life and, and having amassed a fortune and lost it. Paul says, I care about these things. I care about these people. He says, who's weak without my feeling that weakness? Who's led astray and I don't burn with anger? See, he really did pretty much hate these people who are leading people astray. Verse 30, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the windows of the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in the basket through the city, the window in the city hall, city wall to escape from him. He's been through it all. And, and, and he says, I speak with the authority of one who carries the, the, the scars of my body to prove that I've worked hard. And I care about you people. And I don't want you falling after people who are going to lead you astray. And you're going to, and, and you know the thing that he said, they're going to control you. They're going to take away everything you have. They're going to rip you off financially. I don't want you to have that. I want you to stay healthy. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. So we're back where we started. This isn't a sermon that I think anybody in this room probably needed desperately to hear tonight. Is there anybody chasing false apostles? Raise your hand if you are. But it's one of those kind of messages that we sort of need in our back pocket so that we... When, when, when we, we see something that looks a little tainted, uh, we get the screens up, we get the filters out, and we go, I'm not going down that road. I'm going to be careful of this thing. Am I making headway here? Good, because I'm all done, and I went 11 minutes over time. And uh, anyway, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sin. Thank you for the way that you provide for us in, in almost spooky ways. Or we pray and things happen, you answer, and, and things that we just never anticipate, you do. Lord, we thank you for those times when we get the Holy Ghost feel goods, and that we do feel lightness and joy and all that. But we also thank you, Lord, for the times when life gets kind of boring and it gets into just putting one foot in front of the other and being faithful to you. 
that you're always there. You promise to be faithful to us, to never leave us or forsake us. You promise to show us your goodness. We thank you for all of that. Lord, we just pray for ourselves as a congregation, ourselves as individuals, that we'll walk a straight and narrow pathway. Lord, that our lives will count for something. That the people that we're close to will see the decisions that we make and they realize that we make godly decisions and they'll be intrigued by that. They may not like it, but they'll be intrigued by it. And it'll draw them to the point where they're willing to investigate you and the love that you have for them. Lord, we pray that we will continue to be a global, local church. Lord, that we'll be pedal to the metal in terms of serving our community and bringing people to Jesus. But Lord, that we'll also follow after every trailhead that comes our way into ministry going on around the world. God, we got people, uh, I've been out of town, I don't even know, either in Kenya or on their way to Kenya. And we thank you, Lord, for that door opening. And we thank you for the way that it it just looked like a little thing that a few people were going to do. And it's turned into a very, very big thing that's going to affect thousands of people's lives. Lord, we we think there's almost 4,000 pairs of glasses that went on that trip. And we know that as they give the glasses away and make friends with the people, they're going to touch lives. We thank you for that kind of opportunity. Lord, we thank you for Samaritan's Purse and the incredible opportunity that we have to be missionaries at Walmart, to just be out buying stuff that's going to take the gospel. Not just take stuff, we're going to take the gospel to children around the world. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done in us and what you're doing in us, what you will do in us. Lord, we pray, keep us faithful. Keep us faithful.